Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. First of all, you know, your thoughts and I'll share mine with you about what we saw on the January 6th committee hearings. It was pretty breathtaking. And uh, Josh Hawley has a, um, a whole new meme. <laughs> we'll stick to him for the rest of his life. Run, baby, run. Oh, it's amazing. So we'll get into that. I also want to get into this question of one in five Americans, that's 50 million Americans, according to a new study out of UC Davis, believe political violence is justified and 44% of Americans are expecting a second civil war. Also, I want to get into Trump's 2024 coup plan to fill the government with America first radicals. This is ongoing. This is still happening. Down in Mar-a-Lago, they're having meetings, probably as we are speaking, about how to, when they take over the government in 2025, how they're going to fire tens of thousands of civil servants and replace them with maggots. So we've got that. Also, is there a flood of evangelicals leaving the right and becoming more progressive because of Trump? We'll get into that. What do you do if an election-denying Trump supporter shows up on your doorstep? This is happening all over the country right now. We'll get into that. And also, Amanda Milklovitz will be with us, the growing signs of white nationalist recruitment. These racist groups are popping up all over the country, and they are aggressively recruiting young people in particular. To start out our program, though, I'm going to get into this. Just a real quick recap. Donald Trump was clearly aware that the rioters were armed and carrying guns and other kinds of weapons. In fact, he asked that the magnetometers be removed, you know, the metal detectors. He then, for 187 minutes, refused to take any action at all, other than, on two occasions, trying to crank up these people and incite them to kill Mike Pence. Now, you know, nobody came right out and said this. It is so clear to me, though, that he wanted Mike Pence dead. That was his goal. And if he could have gotten Nancy Pelosi dead too, it would have been just fine with him. Because then he could have declared a state of emergency. He could have walked in. He could have said, the election is over. I'm still president. I'm going to continue to be president. I'm going to put this country back together. We're in a crisis. You know, I've got the steady hand. Quack, 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 quack. 
He could have easily done something. He was literally a 60-second walk away from the, from the White House briefing room, which was filled with reporters and had a camera that was on continuously, 24-7. He could have just walked in there, stood in front of the camera, and said, my, my fellow Americans, we've, you know, and those of you in the Capitol, stop. But he chose not to. Instead, he chose to provoke the rioters sending out a tweet a couple of hours into this saying, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country. And then an hour later, he tweeted again. He said, remain peaceful, support our police. But he used the word remain and the word stay in both those sentences. And if you heard Adam Kinzinger read those tweets, he emphasized those words. And the rioters got it. They, you know, oh, we're supposed to stay here. We're supposed to remain, right? You told Kevin McCarthy, well, I guess they're just more upset about the election than you are. In his final video statement, he said, and I quote, I know you're pained. I know you're hurt. I know how you feel. This was a fraudulent election. You see how others are treated that are so bad and so evil. But go home and go to peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. And then at 610 that night, he, he tweeted again, no remorse. He tweeted, these are the things that happen when a victory is stripped away from great patriots. Remember this day forever, go home with love. And even after the election was confirmed, even to this day, number one, we now know this was entirely premeditated. And number two, that he has no remorse. And he's still promoting this big lie that caused five people to die that day, several people to die in subsequent days, including several police officers. He's still promoting this. So picking up your phone calls. Dan in Midland, Michigan. Hey, Dan, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? Hi, Tom. Just wanted to point out on the hearing, the one where they were focused on Trump's inability or unwillingness to help for over three hours. Mm -hmm. I thought it was odd that they neglected to include one part of his January 7th speech. Trump made the following statement. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. That's a blatant lie. When did he say that? He said it, the same speech where he was struggling to say the word yesterday and... Oh, the January 7th speech. The January 7th speech from inside the White House. Right. Very early on, he made the statement that he deployed the National Guard to secure the building and expel the intruders. Oh, interesting. And I thought it was odd that with the focus being on Trump's willingness to let the crowd do his bidding and to, to not raise a finger to help, mm -hmm. that they would have neglected to, to point that out. Otherwise, I think the, the committee is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. I think they had a missed opportunity. Yeah. That's, I, yeah, I didn't even recall that that he had said that. So apparently it slipped by them too. Okay. Well, they, thank you for that. That was a, an excellent point to make. Dan, thank you. John in Huntington, New York. Hey, John, your thoughts. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Yeah. I watched the hearing. And um, the one question that they didn't answer that I was most curious about is why it took them so long to deploy the National Guard. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious to me that that should have been done the moment there was a breach around the perimeter. Yeah. And I understand that the acting defense secretary all along said he didn't like the optics. He didn't want that the National Guard to be there. 
It wasn't is, just you know, that. You can debate that. I mean, that's, that's a debatable question. But once there was the breach, how in the world, when they were two miles away, were they not immediately deployed? And I know that memo that, that you mentioned. Yeah, um, I'm looking for it right now. I, w- I was going to read parts of it. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, I've got it. it. But the memo doesn't say that they can't. They, that they can't protect the capital. They it just, does. It, it restricted the use of some of their armaments and, and tactics. But, but why didn't they get deployed? That's and why didn't the committee? No, yeah, let me just read this to you. This this memorandum responds to your January 4th memorandum regarding the District of Columbia request for D.C. National Guard support in response to plans dem, planned demonstrations from January 5th and 6th. He says, without my subsequent personal authorization, the D.C. National Guard is not authorized, the following, to be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic protection equipment such as helmets and body armor, to interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense, to employ any riot control agents, to share equipment with law enforcement agencies, to use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets, or conduct incident awareness and assessment activities, to employ helicopters or any other air assets, to conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or any similar direct law enforcement activity, and to seek support from non-DC National Guard units. I mean, that's pretty clear. He says, this is about January 6th. You may not do these things without my subsequent personal authorization. And he did not provide that authorization until after four o'clock when Donald Trump told him to. Right, it had to be his authorization. And why, What, in your opinion, Tom, why do you think that wasn't talked about at the committee? Do you I think don't they know. know. I've been waiting for that shoe to drop because I think it's the biggest shoe out there. Exactly. And I don't get it. I don't understand why this hasn't been front and center over and over again. And I know. I mean, there's a number of things that are like loose threads that have not been followed up on. But I think this Chris Miller memo is like right at the top of that list. And because all the right-wing websites right now after the hearings, you should, they're all talking about Nancy Pelosi, you know, didn't want them. They, she rejected the guard, and it was, you know, even though we know she had no authority to, to deploy. She had nothing know, to do with the guard. Of course, of course. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it would have been nice for the committee to, to address that and to spell some of those nonsense. Well, there's always September. Yeah. <laughs> John, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the call. Thought-provoking stuff. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Tom, I was after watching the hearing, and I went to bed and I was thinking, are we the people not getting the country that we deserve? Because I I can't figure out how we're not. I mean, we are getting the country that we deserve. But yet, here's the paradox. Um, We have Democrats, majority in both chambers of Congress. We have a Democrat in the White House. Yet, we are losing on all the issues. Paul, you and I both know this all goes back to Citizens United. Well, okay, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. My, you have to figure out if we're getting what we deserve, let's put it this way. If we're not getting what we deserve, then let's figure out why. Is it A, there's something corrupt, and, and we are being ripped off, therefore we have an injury, there's a causation, and we have redress. So we have we are going to get justification to mouth. I don't know about that because... That's a Supreme Court decision. Or B, and it's always B, by the way, in multiple choice, our constitutional republic is a failed system. Because look at, I don't see how there's anything gone awry in our system. We are told, I think as one caller put it a couple of weeks ago to you on a Friday, he said, but all the Democrats are telling us is to vote harder. I mean, it's kind of funny to vote harder. I can only write my vote in there with my pen as hard as I can, but and it doesn't count let, for let, anymore. Let me throw an analogy at you, Paul. 
If the NFL said that whichever team gives the largest donation to the members of the board of directors of the NFL can have an extra man on the field throughout the game, and yeah. suddenly in every game there was, you know, one team had an extra man on the field and the other team didn't, and suddenly one team just started, you know, or a set of teams that, you know, that, were, that were bribing the NFL just started winning all the games all the time, and then people start complaining about it, and the NFL comes out and says, well, you know, you people who are cheering for the, for the losing teams, the one who, who are one man short on the field, you just need to cheer louder. I mean, that's what's happening, is it not? Well, yeah, except what you, the, there's a, the difference in the analogy is that there is a fraud there. There is a briber. There's a bribe. Yeah. Now, that's what I'm yeah, saying. We live well, in a bribocracy. I, that's right. But it was, it's been sanctioned by the uh, Clarence Thomas. So I, I, I've now decided to call Clarence Thomas judgmental. Um, <laughs> just separate the words. So, yeah. uh, Bad that, pun. I get it. it. Yeah. Okay. So, but. When I look at the decisions now, and I and I read Supreme Court decisions all the time, and I'm, I've decided it's just it's it's so the Constitution is is so abstract and generalized that these guys can flip anything on its head. One thing yep. that they said the precedent was today, and then they'll use the same reasoning and rationale in a different weird way, and they did this with the Chevron rule. You know what that is, and. Yep. and uh, but they did that. I read a Supreme Court case from 1996 about the tobacco industry where I went, I laughed out loud. I said, you've got to be kidding. And so I understand their decisions, but it's like they can they can always make it heads I win, tails you lose. Yep. That, they can always, because I understand that they are making constitutional decisions that I have to say, oh, okay, I see how, I, how you got there. I see that. And, but I tell you, women, you better watch it because there's going to be no more heightened scrutiny for women's rights. That's out the window. All of this substantive due process and how the laws affect people, gone. This court, starting with Antonin Scalia, now they have the majority, the 6-3 majority. It, substantive due process is gone. Right. And so you're going to start seeing you know, more. I don't know what they're going to do with, uh, well, I know that it, unless a, a law is passed, a, a federal law, that uh, same-sex marriage will be gone under the same Pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, Obergefell is definitely and, in their yeah. in their in their yeah. sights so, as uh, as is everything that, except loving, and I think that's going to go too. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, so I don't know how. So is it just let's vote harder? Yeah, I see your analogy about the the team with the the shorthanded team has to cheer harder, but um, there it seems to be that even with the when the minority. And I mean, we do have we have two total proxy uh, parts of our constitution, which is the U.S. Senate and the, and the um, Electoral College. Those are proxy vote uh, par parts of our constitution. But still, the the Republicans seem to get their agenda done with even in the minority. I, I realize that their agenda is not a building one; it's a destruction agenda, and it's easier to destroy somebody's sandcastle than it is to make one. Um, Sandcastles are destroyed in, a, in an instant when the tide comes in and it takes hours to build them. Um, but that's that's kind of the that's kind of what the, the, yeah. the nature of the beast. So I, I, I think I that mean, this is the, that you know the Supreme Court is the is the uh, I'm going to mangle a bunch of metaphors here. They're kind of the spider at the center of the web, and the cancer at the core of our society, of our political society, is money, is the the power of great wealth, whether it's corporate or individual to spin and skew our elections, which was provided to us 
by the Supreme Court in this, as you well know, in the series of decisions starting, uh, arguably, you know, starting with Santa Clara County, but definitely starting with Buckley versus Vallejo, and leading up to Citizens United and McCutcheon. And we've got to overcome that, whether we do it legislatively, like with the For the People Act, which takes a bite out of parts of Citizens United, or whether we do it by changing the Supreme Court. And the question well, in my you know mind, what? Paul, is how long is it going to take before we hit a critical mass of Americans having a critical mass level of outrage that will enable the kind of political action that can alter or challenge the Supreme Court? I, I, it's clear well, we're not there yet. Well, I'll tell you what's coming is with abortion, and I think you articulated this yeah, earlier in the week, is that there's going to come a time where these, these emergency rooms let some woman go too far toward death and she right. dies. Yeah, it happened, to two, thing it is, happened to two women in Ireland. And boom, yeah. they changed the laws. What's going to happen is the doctors won't be at, just at risk of being prosecuted. They'll be at risk on the other side of being sued in tort. That's because right. the tort doesn't necessarily have to, is not, doesn't excuse by the law. Right, and they're, the they're, and they're and already looking at that in those states where the, the states have specifically authorized lawsuits, which is now up to, what, a half a dozen states, I believe? You know, it started with Texas. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Paul, thank you for the call. I, I realize that at a certain point we sort of devolved, but it's important stuff, and it's important that people understand how serious this crisis is. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. And with NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another story that is really grim associated with Donald Trump's efforts to turn America from a democratic republic into a fascist ethno state is that uh, down in Mar-a-Lago right now, they are all these right wingers from his administration are just constantly hanging out there, pouring money into the Trump hotels. I mean, he's encouraging this, of course. They, they uh, hang out at the bar, they eat in the restaurant, they stay in the rooms and and uh, pour money into Donald Trump's pockets, but uh, including people like Jeffrey Clark and, and whatnot, you know, who wants to be the attorney general in the next Trump administration. But the particularly grim thing 
was this executive order that Donald Trump signed in October of 2020 and has not been reversed by an executive order by Joe Biden, and I think it should be. Although, you know, any, any new fascist president could just sign their, new one, their own new one, I suppose, so it can just be ignored. But in any case, he signed this executive order. It's called Creating Schedule F in the Accepted Service. And here, here's what it's all about. Right now, when a new president comes in, there's about 4,000 jobs that the new president fills. And those are called the political appointees. And they range from, you know, at the very top, the you know, cabinet-level officials, uh, all the way down to second and third level people in many of the various agencies around, around uh, Washington, D.C., you know, around the federal government. About 4,000 people. Well, Trump w was uh, proposing to expand that to 50,000 people who are currently covered by civil service protection on the theory that these people who work in the EPA and the Interior Department and the Education Department and the Labor Department and uh, the Federal Election Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission and the bank oversight organizations, that all of these people are part of the deep state and they're all liberals and they're all there to try to protect the interests of the American public and they're not working on behalf of the billionaire class. And so if, if he was to execute or any president was to execute this executive order, they could literally overnight fire 50,000 government workers. And Trump down in Mar-a-Lago right now is literally taking applications. Are you MAGA enough? And if you are, then you can become one of the maggots that we put into the federal government. And they're, they're getting ready for 2025, and they're treating it as a serious thing. Keep an eye on this, because this executive order exists and while I don't think there's a chance in hell that Donald Trump is going to be the guy who puts it into place, his, his, he's toast. He's cooked. I think there is a chance that Ron DeSantis could. I just, like 20 minutes ago, I got an email from Ron DeSantis. I have to share this with you so you just understand the kind of rhetoric that is being directed against America right now by these neo-fascists. I'll just read the whole thing straight through because it's just breathtaking. Dear Thomas, our country is currently facing a great threat. A new enemy has emerged from the shadows that seeks to destroy and intimidate their way to a transformed state and country that you and I would hardly recognize. This enemy is the radical vigilante woke mob that will steamroll anything and anyone in their way. Their blatant attacks on the American way of life are clear and intensifying, stifling dissent, public shaming, rampant violence, and a perverted version of history. A group that will literally tear down monuments and buildings, but perhaps in an even more sinister way, tear down the American spirit itself. They go after the family unit, parental rights, traditional moral values, the church, and fact-based education. Over the past few years, we've watched horrified as this group has attempted to brainwash our children into thinking that we live in an evil, racist, irredeemable country. We listen to them deny science and data to exert political theater, 
all the while trampling over personal liberties enshrined in the Constitution. We saw them take to the streets for an entire summer like outlaws, burning, looting, and destroying everything in sight while being told that they were mostly peaceful and passionate. We watched big tech moguls in Silicon Valley be the arbiters of truth, deciding who gets to speak and who gets silenced through the digital public square. We listened to the leg legacy media muffle legitimately verifiable news stories that didn't align with their preferred narrative, only to watch the truth trickle out months later at a more politically expedient time. Well, Thomas, the time for listening and watching from the sidelines is over. This enemy has taken over media, educational institutions, corporate boards, professional sports, foundations, and professional institutions. They have left no cover of corner of our lives untouched. But all hope is not lost. We the people still have a say. We know the truth, you and I, about America and the country that she is and can be. We must fight to defeat these false pretenses and predetermined narratives. I am choosing to counter this enemy with faith, with reason, and with freedom. As governor of the free state of Florida, I have chosen to lead with a vision that builds America up rather than tears it down. Together we can ensure that our children are raised to know they live in the greatest state in the nation, the greatest country in the world, and that they have an opportunity to continue making them even greater. If you've been waiting for the right time to get off the sidelines and fight for the rights you know were given by, to man by God himself, the time is now. If you're with me, Thomas, chip in any amount to help me defeat this enemy. I can't do it without you. I promise you I will never stop fighting. Sincerely, Ron DeSantis. If that isn't a call to the fascist mob, I don't know what is. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, how are you today? What's up? Hey, Tom. Long time no talk. Yeah. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been very busy. My son has moved in with me, and he's a Trumper. This creates a tense situation here. Oh, my goodness. He is constantly telling me that I need to put the iHeartRadio app on my devices so that I can listen to this radio station in Birmingham that is transmitting the guys who took Rush Limbaugh's place. They have been talking about how everyone is going to forget about this new abortion law by November and the Republicans are going to win anyway. And I looked at my son and I said, do you think people are going to stop having sex? Do people are going to stop ha being, women are going to be stopped being raped? That young girls are not going to get pregnant? That they're... Yeah. And He's living in La La Land. Yes. And who is going to pay for all these cesareans. Do you think the insurance companies are going to start writing policies for young girls for prenatal care? Yeah, and I said, you're, out of, you're not thinking logically. I said, by November and women are dying because they can't have an abortion, this will tip it all to the Democratic Party. He said, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. And this is what is happening to most of America. They're listening to these stations on radio. He listens to it all day. And this, this is what we're fighting. And with Fox doing what it's doing, how you know, I walk around. The best thing I ever bought from Free Speech TV is my tote bag that says, nobody's above the law. Mm. And I get back slaps and I get dirty looks. <laughs> and I start arguments about why 
we Trump is not a god to be worshipped with these Christian people. Yeah. I say there, you should have no gods before God, and you have turned him into a some kind of god on a pedestal, and he's the biggest crook there ever was. Yeah, my family's known this because my grandmother grew up in New York, and my uncles and aunts lived there, and my cousins still live there, and so we've known what that family was for fifty years yeah. or longer, and. But this is what we are fighting, is this constant brainwashing on the radio and the TV every day. And everybody needs to be talking and getting out. And, and an, another thing, Tom, with all these contract employees who don't get Social Security contributions, right now what they're being paid, they can't even pay the rent here. Right. Yeah, I've got rental houses sitting empty in the neighborhood. And most of them are foreign-owned or investment group-owned. And what is going to happen? I used to think it'd be 10 or 20 years before we had hundreds of millions of homeless, but I don't think it's going to be 10 years. It's going to be pretty quick. Yeah. Well, we've we've seen pay. rents go up over 30 percent in Portland in the last two years. Um, they're up a hundred percent in several in Austin, Texas, for example. They're up a hundred percent now over the last two years. Rent. Yeah, it's the same it's thing nuts. here. And when people get outbid by a foreign investment group by seventy-five thousand dollars. Trying to buy a house. Well, this is Wall Street, Americans. and it's not just the foreign investment groups, Norma. I mean, Wall Street is huge in this. Yes, I know. And so, is this part of the long-term plan? Is to totally destroy the United States from the inside out? I don't think it's to destroy the country. I think it's just to suck us dry. You know, they don't. Yes, they don't care about the husk the that's left. They'll but just move to Switzerland or something. Yeah, but what I'm talking about, though, is is this part of a long-term plan that when there's no health care, there's no wages, there's no home, what happens to the country? There are... You have a move in no, north in the summer to get away from the heat, coming yeah. south in the winter to get away from the cold? You know, Norma, I've spent a fair amount of time, a large amount of time in third world countries all over the world. And I know that. They, they all have a lot of rich people, and those rich people are doing just fine. Thank you very much. That's how the rich people in America are thinking. They don't care how bad it gets for the rest of us. Norm, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And let's all send some good vibes to Norma's son. Hopefully, he can wake up. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind today? I hope everybody's paying attention to just how extreme this Republican Party has got with their votes this week to vote against protections for same-sex marriages and. Interracial marriages. Yes. Uh, I'm a black male. My wife is white. And then they voted against access to contraception. Yep. They don't want abortion for a 10-year-old rape victim. They don't even want abortion to save the life of the mother. The Idaho GOP put that in their platform. Yep. Texas GG, they sued over rules that abortion be provided in medical emergencies. I mean, this is how extreme this party has gotten. And I think that you were totally right when you talked earlier, I believe it was just earlier in the week, when uh, you said that they voted overwhelmingly to reinstate the Voting Rights Act, and now they're totally against it. In yeah, in case. 2005. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. You want to see a preview of how the Republicans... In increasingly across America, Republicans are losing elections. Republicans have been hanging on by their fingernails since the Kennedy administration, basically. I, you know, I, I think you could argue that they had a, a pretty good run with Reagan. Um, but, and, and George W. Bush got himself reelected because of 9-11. But, you know, he, he lost, George W. Bush lost the 2000 election by a half million votes. Uh, you know, he only won the, the Electoral College. Donald Trump lost by three million votes. The last Republican who was elected president in the United States by a majority of voters was George H.W. Bush in 1988. That was it. And that was, what, 34 years ago? If I'm doing my math right in my head, yeah, 34 years. It's been 34 years since the majority of Americans voted for a Republican for president. And if it wasn't for the fact that, I mean, 10% of the nation's population is in California, and California has two senators. And 1% of the nation's population is in Wyoming, and Wyoming has two senators. So if it wasn't for this very weird structure of the U.S. Senate, the Republicans would have no power in the United States. And the, and the, and the power that they do have on a state-by-state -state basis is largely being held, if you look at states where statewide Democrats are elected, like you know, in Kentucky, you've got a, a Democratic governor. In Wisconsin, you've got a Democratic governor. In Michigan, you've got a Democratic governor. In Pennsylvania, you've got a Democratic governor. Because in those states, the majority of people want a Democrat, and yet their legislatures are controlled by Republicans. Why? Because of gerrymandering. In other words, tricks, games that they play. So the bottom line here is the Republicans are just holding on by their fingernails. They barely have you know, the ability to, to, to control or run America. And now they're looking at some serious headwinds. Now that they've pissed off half, half the population of this country, you've got a lot of really upset women out there with, with uh, you know, Alito's, uh, yes, let's listen to 15th century witch burners and quote them in the Supreme Court rulings. That was real brilliant. And, and the mass shootings... And the Republican response to another mass shooting is, well, you know, maybe there's a good guy with a gun out there somewhere. Wasn't there one mall where some good guy with a gun took out? Oh, yes, let's talk about that. So what are they going to do? How are the Republicans going to deal with Democrats showing up in huge numbers this fall? Well, I think we're getting a preview right now out of three counties in Pennsylvania. Burks, Fayette and Lancaster. In these three counties, the Republicans who control the, the, uh, the county elections systems that are, you know, where they have to certify the election to the state, 
are refusing to certify the primary that they held, the May 17th primary. This was two months ago, and they still have not certified that primary. Well, actually, it's worse than that. They are willing to certify it, but they're not willing to count certain absentee votes. And the reason why, of course, is because they know that Democrats are more likely to vote absentee ballot than Republicans. Because, you know, Trump spent, uh, you know, a couple of years ranting about how absentee ballots are fraud ridden and, you know, you can't rely on them and quack, quack, quack and show up in person. And so the Republicans show up in person to vote. Democrats, you know, they trust the U.S. mail. In Pennsylvania, the ballot has a, a form on it where you put the date. You don't have to put the date on. This has been litigated all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said you don't have to put the date on there. But these Republicans in these three counties, in Berks, Fayette, and Lancaster counties, Pennsylvania, are saying, sure, here's the results, but we're excluding all the ballots that were mail-in ballots where there was no date written on them. Which is a lot of them from Democrats. And the courts are saying, you know, the Supreme Court said, you've got to count these ballots. And these Republicans are saying, tough luck, we're not going to count them. We'll give you numbers. You want to know who, who voted and how they voted here? We'll give you numbers. And if they weren't loudly proclaiming that they're ignoring these numbers, if they had simply said, okay, here's the results, and had excluded all of these Democratic voters, you'd never have known. This is called election fraud. Now, Republicans for years and years and years have been talking about voter fraud, which is where an individual pretends to be somebody that they're not. But nobody has been talking about what Republicans have been doing for years with caging and, and this little new strategy, which is election fraud. Joan McCarter wrote a great piece about this for the Daily Kos. It's titled, Republican Election Officials in Pennsylvania Show the Links to Which They'll Go to Steal Power, which is the perfect headline. Mark Elias says, most importantly, these counties did not refuse to submit any election results at all. Worse, they submitted results that intentionally excluded lawful votes. When a county presents incomplete results as complete, the risk of undetected election subversion increases. Gee, you think. So, number one, be on the alert. Number two, we need to be publicizing this. We need to be talking about this. This needs to be a much bigger issue. The other issue that I wanted to put on your radar screen, and then we'll get to your calls, is this new study that just came out from the, uh, from the University of California at Davis. Uh, it was a fairly comprehensive study. They surveyed over 9,000 people which is robust. And what they found was that 3% of Americans, 7 million people, believe that political violence is usually or always justified. 7% of Americans say that they would be willing to kill a person to advance a political goal. That's the equivalent of 18 million Americans. 
50.1% agreed that the, with the contention that in the next few years the U.S. Would, could, would, start a, would see another civil war. 42% agreed with the statement, having a strong leader for America is more important than having a democracy. Now here's where it gets really weird. Oh, and 41% agreed with the idea that in America, native-born white people are being replaced by immigrants. And here's where it gets really weird, and this tells us the power of this whole QAnon thing that is being aggressively you know, promoted across Facebook. One in five Americans, according to the survey, believes that the Democratic Party is controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. One in five. One-third of Americans agree that, quote, a storm is coming soon that will sweep away the elites in power and restore the rightful leaders, which is a verbatim quote from QAnon. And one-third of Americans believe that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. So what we're seeing when we're seeing these high levels of endorsing political violence, yes, I will kill people, you know, because, of, because they disagree with me politically, etc., is we are seeing Trump humpers. And the Trump humpers are armed, and they are violent, and they are nuts. I think that, uh, you know, clear and present danger doesn't begin to describe what this survey tells us. We need to be concerned, very concerned. Social media seems to be doing some real damage to this country. Helping you win the water cooler wars. Now that we're back to the office with our water coolers, you're right. Another story that I think is really, really consequential that I wanted to share with you. A 2016 survey by Wheaton College uh, estimated that 90 to 100 million Americans identify as uh, evangelicals. 80% in 2016, 80% of the uh, white evangelicals supported Donald Trump, which is just breathtaking. Now, back in the 70s, the white evangelicals were not a, a political group. That happened with the Reagan administration when they brought George W. Bush in to create this liaison and, and, and uh, you know, uh, Jerry Falwell and Ralph Reed and all those guys. Um, because it was, it was evangelicals who helped put Jimmy Carter in the White House because he himself was an evangelical. Well, it looks like, and, you know, back then it was the moral majority, the Christian coalition, focus on the family and all these groups. It's looking like now there is a substantial exodus out of the evangelical church. 23% of Americans, of white Americans, were evangelical Protestants in 2006. By 2020, the number of white evangelicals is down to 14.5%. And following Trump's election in 2016, the hashtag exvangelical uh, became very popular. This, by the way, is uh, from a piece over at Common Dreams. A potential historic political shift is taking place among evangelical Christians. Um, mega churches from Seattle to Illinois to Alabama and beyond have seen resignations of pastors around sexual misconduct or infidelity. You had the huge sex abuse scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, the, the, after the 2016 election, when, when white evangelicals supported Trump, quote, by a larger margin than they had voted for any other presidential candidate, churches began to resegregate. 
And a couple of prominent black evangelicals, Chicago pastor uh, Charlie Dates and Atlanta's uh, John Anwachekawa, uh, both left the uh, Southern Baptist Convention due to concerns about racism within that organization. Um, so it, it seems that maybe the, the, the evangelical church, there's this movement, the surge movement, for example, out of Phoenix. Uh, it's a renewal movement co-founded by a guy named Tim, Tim Keller. They, they uh, mobilized white evangelicals to march in the Black Lives Matter protests uh, of the murder of George Floyd. He had 3,000 people from 200 churches join a march in Phoenix where they, uh, the ministers led a public prayer and then a deacon in one of the churches uh, read the names of people killed by police. So good news, I suppose, particularly for Christians out there, is that the evangelical movement may be rediscovering the actual ideas of Jesus. <laughs> what a novel idea. I'll pick up your calls on the other side of the break right after I tell you about this story of uh, Trump humpers going door to door and trying to intimidate voters in Colorado. Stick around. So reporting, this is happening in multiple states now. We've got uh, reports from New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. Uh, Trump humpers going door to door and demanding to know who you voted for and how many times you voted and whether you're one of those fraudulent Democrats and whatnot. Um, uh, Michelle Garcia, Pueblo, Colorado, this is Travis Geddes, by the way, reporting this over a raw story, uh, told NPR that two men knocked on her door last fall. At first, she thought they were canvassing for a political candidate. Then they told her, we're doing a voter verification project, project, and said, did you vote by mail? How many times have you voted? He wanted to know who I voted for, who I supported, uh, et cetera, said, the, said uh, Michelle. She said uh, she told the men that she never had any problems, did not wish to discuss her personal voting record, but that did not stop them from peppering her with questions. She said there were no boundaries with their ethics or civility. They will push until you give an answer. They are very intimidating. In deeply conservative Mesa County in Arizona, three women showed up at Annie Landman's door last summer with questions about the 2020 election. Same deal. Did your husband vote in the last election? Yes, he did. How did he, who did he vote for? You know, these, these groups, this is the, the Colorado County Clerks Association, the former GOP County Clerk Matt Crane. He is uh, the executive director of the Colorado County Clerks Association. He is a Republican. He says, quote, these groups claim to be in election integrity groups and nothing could be farther from the truth. They are undermining public confidence in our elections with no proof of anything. And I would add, they are intimidating voters. And they're going to the homes of people who are registered as Democrats because your voter registration is a matter of public record. Wait till they start showing up with guns. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Travis in Centerville, Virginia. Hey, Travis, what's on your mind today? How's it going, Tom? How's it going, Clyde? Um, so mentioning earlier about a civil war and the balkanization of America, I don't think that's going to happen. 
Well, that's it. I don't, I'm not saying that violence won't happen with these far-right extremists. I think we have something more like the years of lead. Remember my history correctly, what happened in Italy, where you had the left, the right, and the government all fighting each other? I think we'll have something like that, because the bounties aren't so defined, because you have states that are red states, but then you have cities that are blue. Yeah. Right? So it, it's, it's kind of a mixture. You know, it's not going to be so well defined. And um, as I, I as think that colleagues. what we're looking at is probably an increase in terrorism, in domestic terrorism. Right. And probably in response to that, you're going to see an increase in federal in the federal government. I think that, you know, the Randy Weaver thing, the Waco thing, the Tim McVeigh things, those were like early warning signals that we failed to take seriously. And then when Obama, in his first months in office in 2009, when the FBI came out with that report that they had compiled during the Bush administration, saying that right-wing terrorism was a major threat, and the Republicans went absolutely bat guano nuts about it, mm -hmm. and Obama pulled the thing. That was a yeah. huge mistake to cave into Republicans in that regard. And two things on that. I was a, uh, I'm now a, I'm a geographer, but when I was when that report was written, I was a contract security officer for CBP, and I remember reading that report because we were told to look out for this type of behavior, and then it was pulled the next day. Yeah. And I said, "Sorry, what happened?" He goes, "You know who complained." Yeah. <laughs> so, and the second thing is, I'm different than some of the other callers. I am not a fleer. I'm a fighter. I'm a combat veteran. I was in the Marine Corps before coming in here battalion. I was in Iraq from 04 to 05. I am armed. I'm of the West. <laughs> I'm yeah. an armed leftist. I do take safety into consideration. My weapon is locked, secured, six-bolt lock, so no one's getting in. So I follow the rules. And so I you're saying bring it on? I, kind of. Yeah. Not individually. I'm or not, more, I'm not more like, like you're America. ready if, they, if they're coming at you. With my neighborhood, because yeah. I know my neighborhoods. I know, I know who are armed, who aren't. If the far-right death squads show up, they're going to have trouble. They're going to have lots of trouble. I suspect so there I are a lot more Americans, you know, who are basically uh, in your position than most people right. realize. And yeah, they're going to get awakening. When they try their little stunt, they're going to get an awakening. Yeah. But again, I suggest if you're a type of person who doesn't like guns, don't get them. If you have mental faculty problems, don't get one. You can still support the right side by contributing in other ways. Yeah. Teaching first aid, teaching anything really that can aid and help in fighting back these monsters and they are monsters. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Travis, thank you. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. On the line with us is uh, Amanda Milkovitz. Uh, Amanda is a, the Rhode Island reporter with the Boston Globe, bostonglobe.com, and uh, the author of this uh, uh, fascinating uh, new story, The Growing Signs of White Nationalist Recruitment. Um, ex extremism in, in Rhode Island and, and across New England, actually. Uh, Amanda, welcome to the program. T t what, what got you started on this, this particular beat, on this particular story? Oh, well, well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Um, sure. So we've just been noticing, actually, for over the last two years, the appearance of Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Proud Boys showing up at various marches. Um, and it, it appeared to accelerate um, over the last couple of months. Uh, some of a, a local group, actually a local New England group called the Nationalist Social Club, uh, showed up outside. It's called the Red Ink Library. It's kind of a, a private community library on the east side of Providence. And they were reading the Communist Manifesto. And this group showed up with Nazi flags and pounding on the windows. We've seen a lot of literature being dropped across the state. So 
So, and particularly over the Fourth of July holiday, and that appears to reflect what's happening nationally. The Anti-Defamation League has noticed since 2020 and through this March a 340 percent increase in propaganda drops and, and um, you know, various leafleting and banner drops and and all types of media um, from uh, different types of white nationalist groups. What is their main sales pitch? Well, they're looking for, as at least the NSC says, like-minded white men uh, to join them uh, to, quote, take their country back to reclaim America. It's mm-hmm. actually even a password that they've used on some of their chats. Uh, they are very uh, – the NSC is a neo-Nazi organization, um, although they try to present as a little more normal. This is – they are anti-Semitic. They are anti-races. They are um, – very pro um, Christian, white, patriarchal, and you know the same goes for the Patriot Front, which watched, which uh, marched with the NSC uh, through Boston over the Fourth of July weekend, and the Graham Defense League, which also showed up here in New England as well. So basically, their sales pitch is: we're white people, we're supreme, we're the right. destined rulers of America. Uh, let's band together and and keep the black people out and and keep women in their place, essentially. Yes, they're looking for people who are unhappy with um, the you know the, the various changes in the social order, whether it's you know there's a gay marriage or you know women's rights or you know trans right. people, and um, it's just people who are unhappy with it, who feel uncomfortable. They're trying to appeal to them, and also really the propaganda is being used to put everybody else on notice that they exist. Right. You know, the caveat is they're not big groups. The Anti-Defamation League told me that they believe, like, the Nationalist Social Club, which is based in New England, kind of an offshoot of the Patriot Front, which is national, is only about maybe 40 to 50 members. And you can cover a lot of ground if you drive around the car and throw leaflets out the window, basically, yeah. and make people think that you're bigger than you are. You know, in, in uh, 1868, um, in that election, there was a substantial uptick uh, this is following the Civil War, a substantial uptick in black representation in the South. By uh, 1876, there were 1,500 black men who had been elected to uh, elected offices across the South, including, uh, as I recall, 18 members of the U.S. House, one member of the U.S. Senate, um, over 300 members of state legislatures in the southern states. And this produced this enormous white backlash that gave us the modern-day Klan and that led to the, the, the great compromise of 1877 that ended Reconstruction, you know, the, the Tilden Hayes election. And, and the, the whole idea of black people voting and participating in, in, in normal American life just went underground until the 1960s. Um, it, it's, it seems to me that this really started with the election of Barack Obama, a, a similar event, you know, a, a black man in high political position in, in the face of white supremacists and in 2008. Because before 2008, I mean, you know, the militia movement and the white supremacist movement, they had Tim McVeigh back in the day and Randy Weaver and, you know, David Koresh, but they were considered fringe crackpots and nobody wanted to wave the flag saying, yeah, this is me. But ever since Obama was elected, I mean, we had the Tea Party explosion. We had all this stuff. Is 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 that a reasonable assumption that that a lot of this is you know over the last 14 years it can be traced right back to that? I think that you know that's a great question for extremist researchers. But I think, and I think it's a, a very astute observation. What I would add to that is look at social media. Look at the way it is so much easier for groups to mobilize to create flash mobs, which is what 
these white nationalist organizations are doing. They're all showing up together at once and surprising the, quote, normies, as they, as they call everyone else. And, and really, they can stay in touch. You can mobilize a national organization much easier than you could you know, way back in the day, right. you can create propaganda, not just banners and stickers and things like that, but they actually have their own photographers. They look and see who has photo skills, who has video skills, and then they create their propaganda videos to show how tough they are. Um, you know, some of the outtakes, the Unicorn Riot, um, that's a, an activist organization, and um, they've leaked a lot of information from, for example, Patriot Front and NSC. And some of the outtakes are really hilarious. You see a a lot of the fails, you know, the stickers that, that don't work, the, the graffiti that, that doesn't stay on. They don't know how to spray paint. Um, there is a, a Patriot Front was doing a hike through Mount Agamemnicus in Maine. And if you know that place, it shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes to to hike it. But they were marching through like they were going into the deep woods. And um, But they can put it together in a very slick video and impress people. So I think that's something to be considered, too. It's how they're mobilizing. I mean, also, it, it, what one thing that the you know, Anti-Defamation League told me and the Southern Poverty Law Center said, you know, we have politicians in high places and people high places who are echoing, who are actually leading this. The white replacement theory right, Tucker is, Carlson. Um, is, right, it's becoming much more mainstream, and this is really what's promoting these groups. Yeah. Well, and, and this raises the, the kind of corollary question. If, if white backlash in the 1860s and 1870s actually succeeded in suppressing the rights of minorities for, for the following roughly 100 years, mm-hmm. and clearly that's the goal of these people, do you think that there's any chance that they can pull it off now? I mean, back then, um, uh, people of color were a, 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 a very measurable small minority of Americans. I mean, we had a uh, mm-hmm. immigration laws that had racial quotas right up until 1965. But mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, today, the, the, the five-year-olds going into kindergarten, 50% of them are not white. I mean, right. are, are, is there any chance these guys can have any kind of, you know, legislative or, or social success in ways that, uh, or, is, or is this just noise around the fringe that's going to get a lot of people hurt and cause a lot of pain, but, you know, in the, in the, in the end, it's going to be, you know, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Well, I mean, can it be both? I mean, I think that there is a lot of noise and fury, and I think that there are also people who are making legislative advances. I mean, look at yeah. look at a lot of the local races and the issues that are being brought up um, at the school boards and the town councils and the city councils. And the voter you look suppression. At what's happening with, and the voter suppression. And, um, you know, January 6th was, was a great example. I mean, there are people there who were, who were showing up because they were mobilized for the president, and there were people there who, with intent and purpose at least that's what's being shown in the january 6th committee hearings so um but the world is different than it was in the 1800s i mean there you know there's an expectation now that we are a multiracial society that 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 this is not tolerated um it is it is causing a lot of concern um you know the the jewish population and black people a lot of people i've spoken to said you know what does this mean and everybody wants to know well who are they because when they appear they're all masked and you know that's of course the purpose they don't want to be seen it's like the the, the hoods for the clan um yeah it's like the hoods for the clan sure but you know it reminds me a lot of street gangs i mean i covered a crime for about 20 years and a lot of the methods are employing the same methods i saw from the local street gangs well you cover up you wear your colors you have your neighborhoods you cover up other people's graffiti 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and to that point, to that point of violence, uh, again, if you look at um, the sale of guns in the United States and the number of guns on the streets in the United States, sure. those numbers sure. only, only were gradually increasing up until 2008. In 2008, it went up so explosively. There's actually a Wikipedia page for the great ammunition shortage of 2008. Um, mm -hmm. In 2008 and 2012, there were, there, after Obama was elected both times, you couldn't buy ammunition. I mean, the prices were out of out of sight, and and now we've gotten just since 2008, we've gotten over 20 million assault weapons on the on the you know AR-15 style weapons on the streets. Sure. Um, so there's a lot more lethality out there. Do these do these groups reflect that lethality? Are they are they a a a clear threat to life? That's what the ADL believes. Uh, they are very concerned, um, and they look at that. You know, is this you know, a precursor to violence. Yeah. This, I mean, it, you know, we can talk about 2008, but we really should be talking about 2020. We can talk about the beginning of the pandemic. Yep. And that's really when, when the lockdowns happened, that's when people were, were going out and buying weapons. People were buying weapons for the very first time because they were afraid. They didn't know what was happening. I mean, in my little state of Rhode Island, we have very strong gun laws. It's not really a gun carrying culture, although it is, you know, in the western part of the state, that changed in 2020. It was an enormous uptick and a huge percentage rise. And yeah. I think it led this, the country, actually, in percentage rise of background checks. Fascinating. One of America's great reporters, Amanda, Amanda Milkovitz, Rhode Island reporter for the Boston Globe, bostonglobe.com. Amanda Milkovitz, M-I-L-K-O-V-I-T-S on Twitter. Check out this work. Amanda, thanks so much for dropping by and sharing the result of your work with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.